0: Hey there, you're welcome to Founders Connect, a show where I have conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and operators in Africa. This is the right show for you to be listening to if you love behind the scenes stories about people, their careers and not their businesses. My name is Timmy and I'm very, very, very delighted to be your host. You can follow this conversation on social media, hashtag Founders Connect. You can watch the video of each episode on my YouTube channel at PCTMe or just search for Founders Connect on YouTube to find the playlist. Also, please share this podcast, subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, leave a rating, and you know, share it, hashtag Founders Connect. Enjoy the episode. Today, we're going to be talking with Yinka Diwali the co-founder and CEO of Kudi. Hi, Inka.
1: Hi, Piz. How you doing? I'm good.
0: I'm really glad to have you here. Thanks for having Because you're almost me. nowhere on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so having you here is like, yay, <laughs> I've tried. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Are you? Yeah, I am. Okay, yeah. so I want to start with you, okay. right? Because I don't feel like I know, I, I know anything about you, except what's on your LinkedIn. So tell me about like growing up. Where did you grow up? How was it like? Do you have siblings? Just, just me, like as much as you can say.
1: Okay, so um, I, I come from a family of four boys. All boys? Yes, and I'm the last child. Um, I grew up in Ogun State. Um, uh, what else is important? Uh, so my childhood was really, um, was quite interesting because I remember at a quite a, an early age of, I think, like 12, I started writing code, mm. which would be weird because I, where I grew up wasn't um, it wasn't like there were computers or right. it was like random. I, I remember that so my secondary school at the time had just got in this new set of computers and there was this science teacher that wanted to basically show all of us how basic as a programming language worked and. So typically, you'll be in like a batch of like ten people, and there will be someone that is supposed to type the code for everyone. <laughs> so interestingly, I was, you know, always like the lucky one to to type it. And at the time, um, one of my older brothers, or my eldest brother, um, had like some sort of pyramid scheme that was going on, basically, <laughs> which is you invite a couple of people to a program, you get like a keyboard then you do a bunch of stuff, you get a mouse. And eventually, it's (laughs) going to build up to a computer. So, uh, sadly, you only got the keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I had the keyboard at home, but I didn't have a a computer. So, essentially, even the reason why I was the one for my class was because Because I was already, yeah, I I knew how to type uh, and stuff. So, I did that for, you know, a couple of years. And then I just decided that I wanted to learn, like, web design, um... PHP and a bunch of like other programming language to do stuff, and I was just in a community where there was someone around that had been building like websites for ever. And my one of my childhood friends, we typically would go to this person's house, and then he would show us how to build websites. So um, I would say, by the time I was getting into the university, for example, mm-hmm. I could actually build like a functioning like web application. Yeah. And I just, but for some reason, I think maybe it was arrogance or <laughs> whatnot. I didn't want to study computer science. I wanted to do like mechanical engineering because I felt that um, I was going to then take my knowledge of computing and then put it into hardware and stuff. So I studied mechanical engineering at Law University. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit And so bit when you left, background.
0: though, you ended up going to web development, right? That was like your first job, if I'm correct
1: my first job um from after the university yeah, right after uni. so no I, I took um so in my second year in school um I, I got a job at a company which ended up firing me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god I'm coming back to that story.
1: <laughs> yeah but it was it was um I started as like a web um web developer there but then we're also doing some like machine learning on um, sort of trying to predict traffic and some stuff like that in Lagos, it was quite interesting at the time um, and then I had like a com- if I had a community of like software engineers back then, so typically we' live together and all that and I just wanted to to you know do something cool, so they were paying me like maybe like ten month or so. but it was, it was like good money Dana. it was good money actually it was really good money yeah so so yeah that that was like my first real gig and mm. stuff um and eventually uh, in my in school which is probably like my only real job so far mm. um i took another internship at um, venture garden group right yeah residence. yeah which which probably is one of the most impactful mm. um thing in my life why do you say
0: it's the most impactful
1: because um at the time when i got into the company um they wanted to do This, um, they were going to start a company within a company, right? Mm. So, the project I was working on was some foil um, technology business whereby we were supposed to build prepaid cards as loyalty cards for companies. Uh, We're supposed to build like an e-commerce platform that allowed businesses make orders for diesel and stuff. So, I ended up spending like nine months, my first week, I think I spent it in, like, working on legal documents. So, mm. uh, so thinking about someone that comes from, like, a... I was doing mechanical engineering in school. I was writing code, and then my first week was l- spent, like, reading MOUs and NDAs. And then the next week, I think I was working with some guy in finance, looking at financial models and stuff. So during that nine months, while I still had the... My full-time job there was to write code and build, you know, like websites and web applications, mm. or mobile applications rather. I had like a very wide understanding of how a business worked. And then Bumiye as the CEO was quite, Bumi was very approachable. So I, I remember I was living with my dad somewhere far on the mainland. And then every Sunday, almost every Sunday, myself and one of my friends would drive from Yanopaja to Leki ah. in Bumiye's house. <laughs> then, and then I would be in Burmese study, and then I would be there, sort of like, and I was an intern, right? This company probably had over 200 employees when I was there. Mm. So I was like, it wasn't like I was anything fantastic and all of that, but I would be in Burmese house. And that basically sh- shaped me because then when we were done with we maybe like the planning for the week, and then Bumi will probably take us downstairs and some of his CEO friends will come. And then anyway, I'm just pitching them like my new <laughs> ideas that, oh, I'm, I'm doing something and stuff. So yeah, that was a really good experience for me.
0: Yeah, but I saw on LinkedIn after doing the EIR, you went back to software development, but you said that that was your only real job. So was that other company a freelance
1: or what was it? Oh, yeah. So there are a few things. that, that You have probably look at my LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. It probably doesn't give you a full picture of the things I have done. So there are probably a few things that I hadn't updated then. So while I was in Adventure Garden Group, um, they had a program called GIBE. Okay. Um, it was Garden Institute of Business and Entrepreneurship. And the whole idea was that you were going to take a couple of... Um, entrepreneurs into a six-month program and then they were going to fund them Mm. so the whole idea is you 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 build a team and then there was like a lot of mentorship from different CEOs Uh, it wasn't even just tech so many of the founders that typically would come would be CEOs of like pharmaceutical companies that were like 15 years so there was a a little bit of like um, mentoring there so myself and two of my friends started this company called um, Clinic Bell. So the whole idea was we're going to, um, it was a CRM for hospitals to Mm. send like SMS, drug reminders and all of that to patients. So, and we had gotten into this program, started to build out this website and all that. I had a day job at VGG, you know, right. so they were paying me. So, <laughs> they were using that sort of like cash to fund like to hosting it. and SMSs and stuff. But the business model was flawed. So, the, we were trying to build it as a subscription business. Mm. So, and the whole idea was that for every hospital that we got, we were going to charge them 10,000 Naira a month to use the service. Mm and then they would have access to unlimited SMS and all that. So, and I remember the day we landed our first hospital, myself and one of my friends had gone there to, you know, pitch this product to the medical um, director of the hospital. I was so excited about it, enrolled them. I think they had about 60,000 patients. Um, And then we got another hospital. So essentially, we probably had like 180,000 patient records there. But the challenge was, These guys will fire like these SMSs like three times a week, (laughs) and each of these SMSs was costing like one naira or two naira thereabouts. So in our, you know, I would say naivety, right? We felt that so at the time there was a SMS gateway that told us that if you paid us a million naira, Mm -hmm. we're going to allow you send unlimited SMSs per year. Mm. So the whole idea was build traction, then raise capital to then pay off this stuff, and then we can can then sign up as many hospitals as possible. So, and it ended up, you know, we couldn't raise capital after like the program, you know, for different reasons, most likely we didn't. The business didn't look like a business. Yeah. The the business model was flawed. And then the business shut down. Um, and then that was when I was finishing my my internship okay. there and I was supposed to go back to school. And then I started another company. Um, it was another health record stuff. Um, but this one was purely... There won't be SMSs. If there was going to be SMSs, the, the hospitals were going to like fund a wallet and then send SMSs from it. But then I went to see someone at Bagada that was trying to pitch this idea to and say, oh, come and you know invest in this. I need like a millionaire for this SMS gateway yeah. that I'm trying to buy. And then on my way back to... I was staying at a redemption camp at the time because my parents... Um, had a house there. And I was in this, like, I was coming from Bagada to, yeah, Moway side. Yeah. I was in this bus. And then I got to this junction and I wanted to take my change from this, you know, this conductor. And this guy looks at me and says, he doesn't have change. <laughs> that Mosof went with 500, Mawale, you know, those kind of stuff. That ha- how come you entered? And then there was an ag bureau on the roadside that he wanted to give, I think, maybe 200 naira to. And then maybe my change was 300 And then he gave the Ag Bureau 500 mm-hmm. and said I should go and sort out the change <laughs> with the Ag Bureau. So, <laughs> and the Ag Bureau says, Mabo,
0: <laughs> basically
1: like, follow me. And I was like, no, this, no, not this was a it's... bad idea. So, I think two days later, my, where I was staying uh, at my parents' house, the electricity went off. And I reached out to my dad to say, oh, how do I fund this stuff? And he was like, oh, there's a card there take the card, take it to this location, and then pay them and they're going to sort it out. And then basically reloaded the card, slot it back into the, the, the meter, and then yeah. there was power. And then I was like, why couldn't we build like, offline payments, mm. right? So then I went back to school, then started this company called Sonwo. Um, it was a prepaid card payment for students to buy food at restaurants, um, take buses and, and stuff. So I remember that I had reached out to one of my, one of my you know, f- really good childhood friends, who had basically co-founded this company together. And then we reached out to one of our lecturers to be like, oh, well, we're trying to build this payment company. Right. And the guy's like, oh, why not leverage NFC? And while I was at venture guarding group, actually I did work on some NFC card mm. technology um, for fleet drivers. And then, so I remember we got the first NFC card from you know this computer science professor, and then we were basically like just coding against it, and then we built this merchant app that allowed you know a store to basically accept payments, and my job then was like convince almost all the stores on campus to adopt so, it as a payment method. So, but the challenge was that, and many people were excited because this was like twenty fourteen, POSs were not a mm. you know many of these stores. I at, at the Fed didn't even have a POS machine. Students had debit cards, but you had to walk to the ATM yeah. and then there would typically be like a long queue and stuff. And eventually we needed to raise capital. Mm-hmm. So okay. I went to LinkedIn. Yes, I went to LinkedIn and then there was some guy, you know, that reached out to me that I wanted to come to Nigeria to start a company at some point and then if he came we we're going to to um, to connect. So I remember sending him a message. I'm like, oh, I just started this company that is going to change the face of payments in Africa. Like, (laughs) I was like, this was going to be bigger than (laughs) (laughs) Interswitch. Yeah, and I was like, okay, like, what's it? Then I pitched him this idea of, you know, payments is largely cash offline, and then we're going to like roll out these prepaid cards. And I was going to work offline. And in a few weeks, right, never met this guy, and then we agreed on a $25,000 investment. And then I was in the university, it was my fifth year in school, um, and then basically like just rolled it out to, I think about maybe like 10 merchants then. Uh, the model was quite expensive because we had to buy like hundred phones that had right. NFC for these guys. And most, m- most of these phones were HTC model, it was quite expensive. I think the average phone then was like 50,000 thereabouts. And then so we had these cards, um, and we also had like an agent network because it was offline, so yeah. you had to put in cash on the card somehow. So we had like all these airtime sellers as agents, you know, that would hand a commission when you um, load the card. Mm-hmm. And I think at the you know height of it we probably had um, you know maybe about two thousand students that eventually like got the card one way or the other. I still remember vividly there was a time when we we're doing like seven hundred thousand in sales every day. And they that were was taking, huge then we're taking yeah it was huge. <laughs> like and we're taking a two percent fee. On, on processing, but it was quite very disconnected from like the payment ecosystem. Yeah. I remember that every day I would go to the merchants outlets to pay them out in cash, you know, for oh. all the transactions. It wasn't even, we couldn't make bank transfers then, you know, yeah, weird actually. So yeah, so that that was what I did. And then, so I did that after, sc- literally my 15 in school until after school. And I, I worked on the company for another like two years. Oh, and wow. Yes. Um, eventually, moved to Lagos. Um, um, you know, raised the seed round of I think about one hundred thousand um, dollars. Eventually, probably the team grew to maybe about ten. They're so, happened? Well, no, well, nothing happened. I, I think that um, we were at the point where um, we're going to decide what the future holds for the for the business. Mm. So, essentially, I felt that we were we. While I liked the NFC idea. I felt like the infrastructure was too expensive Mm. and it was going to be difficult to scale because we had like very fragmented products. So we had, you know, payments for schools. We did like ID cards for different schools. We did transport cards and they weren't connected. So they were like fragmented systems. So, and I felt that it could be cool to do something mobile. And then I remembered having a conversation with my friend and which was my co-founder and some of our early investors in the company. And most people just didn't really think that it was right. the way to go. They felt like, you know, because Africa was, or Nigeria generally then, even till now, it's still like largely driven by cash. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you needed something that was going to work offline. But I felt like the internet was getting a bit better. Yeah. Um, mobile subscriptions were getting cheaper. And, you know, one day I, I resigned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. You resigned from the, well, it was your company.
1: Yes, it was my company, yes. So
0: tell me, I'm, I'm curious <laughs> about what the transition was. Did you end up getting acquired or just be like, peace and light, company's down, everybody go back home?
1: No, so I, I think it's it's one of the, you know, experiences that have shaped my life a lot. Mm. I've I i do not even think I've ever talked about it anywhere. Um <laughs> so I think that largely because there were two founders in the company, we were sort of like both co CEOs. So okay. um and we're like childhood friends. So there wasn't, um, it was the kind of company where if a founder left, he could survive.
0: Okay. Um,
1: because like both of us were technical, right. both of us were were figuring out this business stuff. Yeah. So there wasn't really like one person was tilted to, mm. to one side. And, um, and then I, I remember it was a, the Saturday before, I, myself and my co-founder, at Southdown, with one of our mentors. Um, and then we were like, oh, you know, we're doing this stuff. And then we also had a bit of, um, what's it called? We weren't really agreeing on, like, so many things with our early investors. Um, I think it was just perspective, you know. On one end, we were quite young, mm-hmm. well, and they also had probably, not like probably, they were building businesses and financial services. So they pretty much had, like, i would say better experience of the markets than we were so i pretty much would have felt like you know these guys were going in the wrong direction and then it was just this thing of oh we're going to stop them and because it was like my first shot at raising venture capital um we had given up like almost control of the business at the time so the only way out of it was like you know you quit Mm -hmm. um so uh, I remember having a conversation myself and my co-founder then with one of our mentors, and you know he told us that like, you know, how old are you? I think I was like 24. But <laughs> how old are you? I was, like 25? Like, like resign? <laughs> <laughs> and I like, you know, you, you can still do like do other things in your life. Uh, I think it was 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was maybe early 2016 thereabouts. Um, so yeah, I think that so eventually myself and my my co-founder agreed that I was going to leave. Um, okay and he was going to keep running the business and so of course i feel like in hindsight um i could have probably managed that process a lot better you know i think i was a bit a bit dramatic about my exit, (laughs) um which eventually you know led to like there was like months of like insane Mm. you know back and forth you know um i remember my investor once told me that um She was going to make sure that she destroys my life something Ah. like that yeah it was quite (laughs) she took it quite 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 yeah but then like you know so i left uh, my my other co-founder you know started to run the business eventually raised you know more venture capital and I, i think they you know i think they they did well eventually i'm not exactly sure how you know the company is are you still two friends yeah we're still friends actually we
0: are, are you not sure how the company is? we don't
1: talk about business
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay jody lied
1: <laughs> yes so so yeah that that was how that that experience went
0: so did they buy you out so or do you still have equity or
1: huh did they buy me out no um i, I walked away with nothing because the only so basically so I, after i left the company you know i had started kudi Okay. Um, or then I started working on Kudi. Myself and Columbia had been talking about Kudi for a while. And then there was this chat bot that could allow you buy at time. Me? They
0: don't start talking Kudi yet. Just finish that part oh, of
1: oh, Okay, so, um, so when I, so the problem is that it, so essentially, it's, right, I had to like trade all my stock in the company okay. for the ability for me to go and run Kudi by myself. You know, it's, oh. it was more like, oh, if you're going to do Kudi, you know, we want something there. Right. Oh. you know because you're going to be competing with us and i'm like well how does like something that sells hair time on, on facebook and a card to buy something in stock compete? but again it, it didn't matter so what's more like okay i then had to be like okay here are all my vested shares you can have three so years of my life of this, yeah. and then you know i'll go build my other business so so essentially that's what
0: happened uh, okay okay so could you, so where how did the idea come and how did you and Pelumi decide that, oh, you know what, two of us are doing this together. Also, being that you had already had a co-founder relationship, I feel like it's two questions in one, but you already had a co-founder relationship with a friend. Yeah, and my you best And you friend. left with being best <laughs> friend, and three years down the line, you're like peace and light, and you're living with nothing, and now you're starting another company with another friend. Like, how, do you, how are you sure that this was going to like play out right now, based on that experience, and then how did you adjust that?
1: Okay, so I, I think one of the things that um being young and you know not knowing so much about life does for you allows you just take like big bets mm. one thing that i was sure of was that even if i failed i was 25 thereabouts i would go get the software engineering job somewhere. <laughs> but so, but. yeah and like my friends that were working at conga um, or other tech companies than Andela, like, they were making good money. So they were even making money, better money than I was making. So, yeah. so there was, a, I had a plan B. Was like, if this startup thing didn't work, I'll go and write code. But then one evening, I was taking a walk, um, and then I think Conga just released this report that said, I think there was one sixty thousand customers thereabout that had used the service in like six months. And I was shocked because I'm like, you know, with all of these hundreds of millions of venture capital that had gone into, you know, this e-commerce business, I felt it was going to be bigger than that. And then I started thinking that um, that meant like this consumer internet business in Nigeria was more difficult than I than I thought. Mm. And so I started thinking about it. That what if it was the way the technology was positioned. Um, my mom or my dad or my uncles, we probably never tried to buy something on Conga or Jumia True. at the time. But then we were always talking on WhatsApp. Mm. So there was only one technology that I knew that almost everybody was using and it was messaging. So um, Balumi was working at the messaging company in Nexmo at that time. And then we had, we had been friends from school. And he had written some academic papers on Um, natural language processing and stuff. And I remember, I was just thinking about what if we could build commerce on messaging whereby you could just go to WhatsApp and say, oh, I want to buy something and then all of that happened. So there was like this rush of um, adrenaline in my brain (laughs) and then I went back to my house, went on Skype and then sent him a message. I'd be like, you know, we need to talk. And then he didn't reply. And then next, I'm like, oh, we need to talk. It's really urgent. And then like, ah, who died? <laughs> have died, but so then I pitched him this idea of, you know, this could be really big. Uh, messaging is the future, and we just have to get in right now.
0: The things are serious. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then if you know, Pelumi, okay, well, Pelumi is quite different from me. He's very, I'm like, oh, let's do like shit ton of things. Pelumi is like, oh, let's do one. Mm. So Pelumi is like, okay, all of this commerce stuff I want to build, I think it's like to complicate that. What's, if, what's the basic thing we can do, and like we sell it at a time. Mm. And so we then started to like find people that could give us like APIs to vend their time. And interestingly, at this time, PayStack and FlutterWave was just like, they were, it wasn't like they had just launched, but it was the time where it was the first time you could tokenize cards right. in Nigeria, where you could do like recurring debt in some of the cards. So we had integrated PayStack and FlutterWave, and then we basically just started to like, then add time, DSTV, GoTV subscriptions. At some point, we added money transfers to it, and essentially that—that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I remember convincing Pelumi to leave his job in the UK to come and do this full time. And he did. Well, that, it was a bit of a interesting conversation because so his, his, his mom had signed up on this service, mm-hmm. and then our firm, then um, the first field was putting your BVN. And so he had told his mom that he was going to quit his job and work on this full time. And I wasn't even really sure whether she was at peace with that decision. But then I think two days later, she went to the ATM machine. And then it was the time when banks would typically put, don't give anybody your BVN, don't reveal your BVN. And then I think it was in the news as well. So his mom just called him, was like, I hope you haven't resigned. <laughs> <That> <laughs> I just not. saw in the papers that you're not supposed to give your BVN to someone. That this stuff that you're building on, this BVN thing, isn't going to work. But sadly, I think he had resigned. So, and, yeah. So, <laughs> I hope she's... Advice
0: came too late, but it, it worked it came out too late. Well,
1: yeah, well, we hope so. <laughs> so,
0: that was... So, the the, the, the commerce on chat was Kooli. AI, right? Yes. And then you guys have now pivoted to just Kudi, right? So yes. So, what's, what's that? What's the story. Yeah. The transition. Like.
1: Um, so, there are, like, multiple thing, things that led to the... the Pivot, actually. I think the first one was um, so we got into YC in January 2017. So we did YC. As-cudi.ai. As-cudi.ai. So we did YC from January to March. And I remember it was Investor Day. we started full time um, I think month five. Yes, yeah, so it was okay. December. Yes. So Welling, just before YC? Just before YC. Yes, okay. yes just before YC. Um, so at I think at um, sometime in March, um, 2017, we were processing $15,000 a. <laughs> I think $15,000. You smile now because that money. <laughs> a, so it was cute. It was about $15,000 a. It was cute. you know a month in transactions and, you know, we're pitching to almost like all the big investors in Silicon Valley and everybody was just like nah because prior a year before us was, was Flutterwave. And FlutterWeb was processing twenty million dollars a month, or oh, had processed twenty million dollars, you know, historically as at that time. time. So when you showed up and you know you dangled these fifteen thousand dollars processing, what's they're what's like, up? "What's this?" But then, like, at lunchtime, a certain you know aged man walked walked up to me and he was like, "Oh, you are the Kudi founders," and then I was like, "Yes," and he was like, "Oh, that's you know." He's an early investor in Square, mm. and he had been convi- trying to convince, like, you know, the team to build something on messaging. But I, you know, he thinks that messaging is cute, um, but that you need to actually, especially for if you're building for, like, emerging markets like mm. Nigeria, that you need to actually focus on a demography of people that don't even use financial services at all. Mm. And that if you're keen to talk, you know, here's my card, you know, you can shoot me an email then i looked at the card it said said v you know i didn't know who it was and then i googled it and i realized that it was a billionaire in dollars so uh-uh. i was like okay <laughs> my village make, people. <laughs> so then i found out that i was you know it was the founder of some microsystems and the uh, you know general partner at kosla ventures and then i shot you know v an email and we scheduled like a, a a meeting and that was like my first time in actually pitching an actual venture capital firm, you know, mm-hmm. I'd raised like even at at a YC, you know, YC is really like a founder-friendly environment, so it's not, you know, they're not necessarily even looking for, you know, the. I think YC just looks for like maybe indicators that oh this could succeed. It doesn't necessarily mean how you even present yeah. it now, and then so I'd gone through like this, you know, maybe like three weeks of talking to this, um, um, to, to the guys at Coastal Ventures. And eventually, um, um, Vinod emails me and it's like, oh, you know, it's too early for us, mm. we won't be able to do it. Um, and then I, I took my bag you know, from San Francisco, moved back to Lagos. And at, at this time, I think this was April, the transactions were growing. And I think like three days later, you know, Vinod emails me and is like, oh, by the way, you know, it changed my mind. If you oh. were going to, if you know, guys were going to do this, uh, sort of like figuring out this financial inclusion thing. Um, I'm happy to invest five hundred thousand dollars. I was on my couch when I saw it. So I was like, interestingly dollar was five hundred at the time. I, I did the math, it was money. 250 million naira. <laughs> then I caught Perlmian I'm like, oh V Not is going to write those a five hundred thousand dollar check. Like guy now <laughs> stop, stop, <laughs> <Are you worrying laughs> stop playing with my emotions. <laughs> and then so that was like the first time when we felt like okay it could make sense for us to focus on the markets where the banks weren't, you know, really tapping into the opportunities. Mm. And, but then we didn't even make the change immediately. So we went to like, I think like by April, we're already now doing maybe like, maybe six sixty eighty thousand $80,000 a month in transactions, but we're in making, you know, we're in generation revenue. As a matter of fact, we're losing money per transaction. Mm. So, cause the, our pricing, again, I, I guess I had not learned my lesson. <laughs> Our pricing didn't make sense, um, because f- bank transfers in Nigeria would typically charge you a flat fee, yeah. and then if you had to use a payment processor that would first charge like 1.5% on the card, it basically just doesn't work. But then we had one customer that was using the chatbots bots that typically would almost transfer money like maybe 10 times a day. Mm. And ideally, like the average cost DNA of our customer will probably, best case, transfer money three times a month. Mm. So we will block this guy's accounts and he will create another Facebook account. As a matter mm. of fact, at some point, he had like five accounts that, he, that were transferring money at the same time. Oh, wow. So we were sure that it was fraud. So we were basically like blocking his account. He will create a new one, block his account, he so will create a new one. And then we then, I think he sent like 100,000. And then we charged this card, but we didn't terminate the money to the destination account. At least it will show up. So then the guy reaches out and says, oh, he wants to, you know, that he sent money, didn't get there. And then we're like, well, you know, so there's some KYC that we need to verify. You know, where are you? And then he's like, oh, somewhere in ibejo And we're like, okay, would you mind coming to our office in leki phase one then? And then he showed up in, in the office. I remember that I was sitting at our you know, boardroom then with him, and I was like, "What do you do?" And then I was like, "He's an agent." And then mm. I'm like, "What do you mean?" It says that you know people come to his um, shops to to send money, and that he has like five of those stores, mm. which then makes sense that he had like five accounts on the chatbots. Um, and then I remembered, I think was well, really me that I eventually even then went to him to one of the the locations, and interestingly it was in front of a Sterling Bank. You know branch like people would rather come to him
0: than
1: than go to the bank and then we're trying to understand why but then one of the things that made sense was that many of these type of customers were probably like busy SMEs so you know Mm. think about a store owner that just wants to transfer this money and go Mm -hmm. they don't want to go to a bank you fill this form and then you wait on the queue and stuff so eventually so that was like the first second you know collision with sort of like agent banking and then there was a the third one was myself and one of my teammates had gone to Abuja to to talk to some of our friends that were building some electricity payment company. And um eventually we met someone that said, Oh, that they have like this agent network where they, you know, where they sell where that's how people buy electricity. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, why are people not, not buying online? We're like, Well, yeah, we have an online channel, but like bulk of the market still uses yeah. this this agent approach. Then we went to About so then someone gave us like a list of all these agents. So many of them were like barbing saloons, uh, some were like restaurants, and then we went to talk to a lot of them, and we saw that they were basically like, you know, selling electricity vouchers and stuff. So and then it was like the time when we showed that okay we needed to build this thing. And I remembered I then had a call with Belumi that night. I'm like, you know, by tomorrow we need an app for agents. (laughs) And then it's like, you know, oh, we've built the company on a narrative of messaging. Mm-hmm. And, and interestingly, the next morning, there was an app. And then at the hotel I was staying, um, myself and, you know, one of my colleagues that were in Abuja then went to, like, the business center there. So the guy that does, like, printing and, you know, it was a sort of like a cyber cafe. And then we sold him this idea of, you know, you can buy a time, you can sell data, you can do subscriptions and transfers for people on this right, app. Yeah. And then that was like our first real agents. Um, and also that, that was how we, we, we eventually pivoted. And I think that the interesting data point for us was between November and December, almost like one month of just like onboarding maybe about 300 agents on it. Our volumes literally grew like three X. Mm. And then for the first time, we actually made real money.
0: Didn't lose money. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: it was like, almost like a profitable month. So, mm. so yeah. That, so, that was, like,
0: this is it. We finally mm. found it.
1: Yeah. We we're like, yeah, this this is it. To be honest, I I I still think that we still didn't, right? You know, just thinking about it now, right? Because I feel like sometimes you could literally sit on so much data, but it's mm. very difficult for founders to make decisions. Because we're still really, we're trying, like, many experiments. I, I And I remember that, so... Maybe like September that year, I had emailed all our seed investors, Kozla, Ventures Platform, everybody. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, there's something that YC says are you default dead or default alive? Mm -hmm. And then the whole idea is that if you would not, so you basically look at your bank balance as a founder and you're like, will I break even, Mm -hmm. you know, before I run out of money? If the answer is no, you're default dead. And then, so. PG would say, you could bank that investors will bail you out. Oh. But what if they don't bail you out? And then you would, it's, it's got the fatal pinch, mm. which is where you just crash and burn. So I emailed all our investors and I was like, we will not eat break if, even before we run out of cash. Like, mm. this was September 2017. And interestingly, we're like, we probably still had like $300,000 in the bank. Mm. But like I was just sure that like on our what current model we're going to like run out of cash. And then we started running different experiments. So the agent thing was one of it. We're doing like some online merchant stuff. We're trying to do some cross-border payment stuff. And then January, 2018, Dotun Olohokporoku, you know Dotun?
0: Starter guy. Yeah, yeah. Dotun
1: came into our office and then I was just talking to him about, you know, all of these things that we're doing. And then he looked at it and I was like, oh, you know, how come you're having so much transactions on this thing and then you're not, not focusing on it? Um, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I was <laughs> like, like, shut down all the other ones and do this. And then like the next day, we basically like just, you know, stopped focusing on the merchant stuff, changed our dashboard. because Before we used to have like maybe agent transactions, like transactions from the bots, basically just made it into one and, Events, essentially. And that was pivot. Yeah, and that
0: was it. And you guys didn't default. A- and we didn't what? You guys didn't default, or you guys were not defaulted. How do you say Oh,
1: uh, okay, default debt. So, default
0: debt. Yeah,
1: so we, we didn't run out of cash. No, so what then happened was, you know, as the transactions started to grow, um, we started to, like, generate enough revenues to basically then cover our cost. Mm. And then from there, we basically just kept growing um, till I think like late 2018, uh, where we then started to talk to investors around raising the next round of capital. But mm. by that time, we were already profitable.
0: And you're still profitable now.
1: Well, it depends on <laughs> on what level, right? So I think that essentially, right now we're investing a lot in growth, mm. which means that we are funding like a lot of like expansions and stuff, mm. right? So, so yeah. on some and, month, and yes, that's on what some you raised Series A for. Yes, so the whole idea for our series A was to just, after we had then figured out that um, in the markets that we were, there was still like a lot of um, infrastructure that needed to be built for digital financial services to sort of take off. And the whole idea was agents were going to be the the backbone of that infrastructure. And we needed to build out, like. a really wide, big-agent network. And uh, so, yeah, we started talking, talking to investors to say, oh, we need to raise capital. And then between like November and March 2019, uh, we raised the $5 million Series A from the Patek Africa Fund. And that that was quite interesting because um, even the the Patek, you know, just thinking about it now, um, at YC demo day, I ran into an investor that eventually didn't um, didn't invest in the company. By the time, I had this habit of always sending like monthly investor updates to, yeah. I had a list um, on my Gmail, which would be like, um, I can't remember what the list was, but basically people that, that didn't invest in the company. So one day he reached out to me and I was like, oh, like the numbers look quite impressive, you know. I now work for, the Patek fund yeah. but then we have an African fund will you be interested in talking to to the team and then interestingly I think about the month after the Patek Africa team was in Lagos and then they came to our office and then we weren't even fundraising to be honest we just had the nice chat around <laughs> the markets the opportunities and and then I think that um they offered us maybe like a check but we're not raising money so we're like uh, no not we're not yet. raising and then they were like, okay, um, you know, maybe we'll double it or something like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then so my son okay, let me. Then looked at us. So okay, it might not be bad to fund this. And and then we then had this, you know, it was then like we had figured out the experiment. Mm. It was sort of okay. How do we then scale this scale business? Or yeah. So essentially, that's that's so what
0: happened. So I, I saw the, the some of the press releases that went out when you raised the fund when you announced April twenty nineteen and said that you guys had 4,500 merchants and processing $30 million. I want to know if you can share, what's like, what are your figures like now, like almost three, two years after? Or one year and some month?
1: So I I feel like, you know, the more I sort of stay in this like space and you know, financial services generally um, in Nigeria, I, I think over time, I have come to learn the hard way of Necessarily putting out your numbers out there. Mm. Um, I I think we are still in a in a largely uh, in a market where the regulator isn't really sure mm. of um, of the framework of you know different things, and sometimes I think while in bid to position ourselves as you know startups and um, basically want to show oh, some form of growth. Um, you also get into like problems with the regulators. Right. So uh, let me give you an example. Um, so the the framework that probably powers um, a business like ours ideally would be a super agent network. You know, licensed, which we are licensed for. And over time, you soon realize that when you engage the regulators, even in the mind of the regulator, they were. They probably don't know that some businesses could be that big, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so they're probably thinking, best case, you will process, you know, a hundred millionaire a month, and then if you show up like these billions, and then they're like, you know, what's what's going on? So you essentially have to like um, either get like other licenses or partner with banks and stuff. So, but just to give it context, right now I, I think we have about fifty thousand, um, you know, merchants or agents on the platform. Yeah. Um, I think that. For us right now, it's sort of figuring out how to do more with the network, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is essentially trying to figure out the way for our merchants or agents to generate more income and then trying to position ourselves as a platform whereby other, you know, other maybe bill payments companies or businesses that are interested in like disbursing cash or taking payments could definitely leverage infrastructure we've built and then it will be win-win for everyone because the agents get to to get more commissions from that
0: Right. what would you say is the best thing about what you're currently building a Cody mm.
1: the best thing I, I think that it is the ability to contribute to you know what I will call you know the future of the digital economy so mm. What I mean by that is um, today, even in my streets in Lagos, there are about three or four agents, Mm. you know, that are POS agents on on, on my streets. And I think that one of the things that that does is, first of all, because of that access, you definitely can increase the number of people that are using financial services. Mm. So for context, so imagine that um, someone was um, a Gateman, you know, around there, and then maybe his employer would typically have paid him in cash, mm. right? For the average employer around these is all your money probably is in your bank account. Mm-hmm. The reason why you're only giving th- your driver or your Gateman cash is because that's the only way you can pay him because he doesn't have a bank account. And banks typically have this look and feel of sophistication, yeah. ideally. So many of these you know, unbanked people will probably not even want to walk into a bank to open an account. Sure. Uh, and even if you open an account, because the bank might be far away from where you are, um, you it's not as accessible to, to get your cash out. So, but then, now that there are agents everywhere, it's not even just the transaction that has being processed. Mm. It's also the fact that we're ac- literally accelerating the number of people like creating bank accounts, mm. the number of people trying to use their banks. Because sometimes, when we look at like data from people that are unbanked i have seen like traders that generate as much as five hundred thousand Naira a day in sales mm. that don't use bank accounts so because i think that sometimes there's a bias that if you don't have an, a bank account it's yeah, because you don't them. have money yeah but i think that at some <laughs> point it's just that if you think about the dna of the informal market um, a trader needs to literally open his or a store almost every hour to make money if I have to close down my store to go to a bank to do a transaction, uh, it could take me like an hour and I would have lost sales. And that's what, you know, what Kudi does. It's the fact that we are literally, you know, increasing the number of people, the number of transactions that can come to, you know, that can become digital. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like the biggest contribution we can make. It's not even that, oh, these transactions were with these banks before. It's like, these transactions didn't exist. You know, people were only doing it in cash. Now, a lot of it is now being digitized because there's access to digital financial services and it's affordable.
0: Would you also say that in some way that's also like one of the key challenges?
1: Yes, I think that um, there's a a lot of challenges with, you know... (laughs) A lot. A whole lot, you know, (laughs) building in this market. I I think on one end is just... Um, it's, it's an expensive network to build mm. g- generally because there's, there's always like um, a huge investment upfront that you have to be put into being able to sign up an agent, set up an agent, train an agent, all of that. You know, it's an investment you have to make upfront and then it could take you a while to, to break even on that. Um, and then I also think, also understanding the fact that even many of these locations at some point might become unviable. Mm. because um, if you're sort of like scaling, there will probably be like a lack of efficiency in what you're building. And Mm. then you could eventually realize that maybe 20% of the network that you're building because they are SMEs too and all of that. So if they're not making enough money, they're gonna shut down at some point and all of that. So it's on one end, being able to be so mathematical about how you build this network Mm. for profitability of the agents first, first, because if the agent isn't profitable, it yep, doesn't matter sure. how much volumes you're processing yeah. today, that person is gonna go out of business. So I think that, that that's the hard part. It's like sort of investing and scaling, but at the same time trying to make sure that, you know, you are tactical about it. Mm. Yeah, that, that's challenging.
0: Mm, interesting. So you've had a very interesting journey, right? Like the business is from um, doing entrepreneurship and residence and VGG, to like doing your two health business.
1: Yes. Very interesting.
0: So I went to ask like why health, health at the same time? And then goes straight into it's financial finance, services, uh, financial services, and then losing one business and then doing another one. Right. And this this one started as a different idea. Yeah. So it's like your yeah, some founders are lucky. They just like get the idea and it just goes all the way and that's what they're pursuing. Yeah. But you've had like you had to try and experiment a lot. Would you say this? If, if you had to do this all over again, and say God comes and say, you oh, know what, he's okay.
1: you
0: come back, you get to this point too, but okay. you have the opportunity to now go back in time and change okay. stuff. Is there anything about your journey that you say, you know what, I'm not doing this. Let me just go to what I know it works. Or you're just mm. going to be like, everything was worth experiencing. What's your perspective?
1: So I, I think that um, maybe the, the only thing I would have probably changed or maybe not change was, I would have probably tried a, a real job for like a year or two.
0: Oh yeah? Why? Yes. Uh,
1: I think that um, if you're a founder like me, which pretty much, you know, you have like zero experience, maybe working for people mm. or managing people, um, there are just a lot of things that take, takes you a while to, to really understand. Um, mm especially with, like, managing people, right. building a team. could um, is, like, 120 people now. So that meant, like... Employees. Full-time employees, wow. yes. And so that means, like, there's a lot of, like, learning on the job. Mm. And then sometimes when I'm talking to a few of my founder friends, and I'm like, oh, you know, I have this problem that I'm dealing with. And then this person like, oh, what, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And then I realized that s- sometimes... Um, I don't necessarily think that you need a work experience to be a successful founder. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. But I Obviously. think that, <laughs> But I think that it gives you a bit of, you know, perspective, um, working with people, um, understanding people, even not understanding how to like manage, you know, people that like your, your boss or, yeah. you know, people that report to you. Um, I think that just not having the few things that have, that have taken me a while to to learn, um, especially like around like building a team, yeah. right? Which I felt like maybe if I had worked in like a, you know, maybe like a structured environment for a while, I would have at least seen some structure. And then yeah. that would make me understand how to like better position, you know, my team for, for where we're going to. But if I think about all of like my different like successes or failures or whatever, I don't think I would have changed any. I think that all of those things, you know, make me who I yeah, am okay. now. And then each of those experiences, you know, have have had like their impact on me. The good, the bad, you know, the ugly. And you know, even for all of the mistakes that I have made, it's just giving me a better perspective. There are things that I can't change. Mm. But means that like going forward, you know, there's a way that, you know, I would approach life.
0: Yeah. I have to follow up questions there. The okay. question would be so you said you've made some hiring, people, mind, mind mistakes, right? I want to know what what is the most significant hiring or people mistake you've made? <laughs> and then two, you also said you've had plenty of successes and failures. What, which of them is your favorite failure experience and why? Hmm.
1: So, so people... Um, so I think that your organization or your startup or, you know... There was a day that i had I, I put the tweets out and many people were in my dm like shouting and abusing me oh, yeah, and what was the whole idea was that i said the the biggest challenge to scaling a fintech is talent um that it's not capital mm. and then you know a lot of people were like oh you know but you need to raise capital to be able to attract talent and i and i agree i think it's a chicken and egg problem Now i think the challenge when I think about just building teams is um, sometimes there's a, when you're hiring, hiring is like the, especially at the early days, it's yeah. like the the soul of the company. You yeah. know, you kind of have to get it right at hiring because if you don't, um, many things can go, can go wrong. So, and I also think that there's a, there's the ability to not necessarily, um, how do I put this? So I think sometimes, if you do not structure your startup in you, so let me give you an example. Um, I could start a company today, and uh, you know, let's say we are co-founders, right? And then we hired, you know, a certain sum mm. for, um, let's say, products, right? And in six months in, we make some VP of products. Mm. Um, The question really is, is Sam VP of product Mm. or is VP of product at Kudi? And then there are different types of, Mm -hmm. you know, team members. There are people that even though we've given Sam VP of product, it can actually become VP of product. It can scale as the company scales. Mm -hmm. Right. There are scenarios in which it just can't because, you know, either and I think it's largely the support they get you know maybe from the founders also that inner drive to become that yeah. now essentially what could then happen is that you could destroy sam's career or your relationship with sam if you're mm. not careful because maybe eventually you know product is not working everybody is complaining customers are disgruntled and now you have to hire vp of product mm. right then do you then demote sam from vp of product to product lead So I think that the, I wouldn't say like the biggest mistake or the, I feel like one of the hardest lessons that I have learned in starting a company is being careful with titles. Mm. Um, Because I think that you could lose like a lot of time, you know, managing people's emotions and not being able to get the work done if you give out the wrong titles. And then, you know, I I remember having this conversation with Shola of Paystack back then. And then, you know, Shola would typically tell me that uh, the truth is sometimes you don't know who is, you know, head of support or head of sales or whatever, right? But you know that you have, like, people that are passionate about it, yeah. you know. And sometimes, as the company scales, you get to really understand, you know, what you what you need per role. So I think that the sort of, like, the biggest pain points for me, you know, in the person I think about mistakes that I've made, you know, with people is... I think sometimes it's just handling them titles that eventually you have to make changes, but they wouldn't really understand why you have to make those changes. And then that can really have a negative impact on your relationships with them.
0: That's very interesting, because when I was having this conversation with Ezra, Shola's co-founder, he said that one of the mistakes that they have made was that they made engineers, engineering managers before they were engineering managers. And so they realized after six months that shoot, we just made a huge mistake and they had to take them back to engineers yeah. and they hire new engineering managers.
1: Yeah. I think that largely, because of maybe like the nature of engineers, they probably will survive that. Mm. But ideally, most people would would struggle with it. Yeah. Um Because if you have to... Because again, an engineer could still spend his time writing code, even yeah. if he's a manager. But imagine you've made someone, you know, maybe like a finance lead, right? When this person is... Maybe like an accountant. Mm-hmm. Eventually, when you hire, you know, someone to add finance, then they have to like report to this person. So if you're not careful, um, it could take a while for you to to eventually make that change. And and if you also just do it in a very like you don't give a shit type of way, you're going to like ruin your relationship with them. And the truth is that there's no right or wrong. You just have to know that your actions have consequences, and you know you have to be fine with it.
0: I ask this question a lot because. Successes are great, right? But sometimes, a lot of times, when you fail at something, it's, it changes you. Yeah. Right? It's, it ends up becoming something that you have to reference. Good, bad. Right? And for some people, they've had plenty. Okay. <laughs> for other, other people, just one or two. But you end up seeing that, I failed at that thing, and it became like such a pivotal moment in my life that I'm even grateful in hindsight that okay. it was something I went through.
1: Okay. So I, I think it was... Um, my last company before, you know, I started working at Kudi, um, on Kudi, I think that I'm grateful for the experience, um, to, have been able to build, you know, that the company at the time, I think by the time I left, we were probably about 15, 16 Mm -hmm. people, um, we had built some real value, but that whole experience with managing, um, you know, disagreements with your co-founders, disagreements with investors, um, expectation of people. I think it's sh- it shaped me a lot. Um, right. So, whereby right now, um, in like the last four years of, you know, building Kudi out, myself and Pelumi, I think we have like a very decent conflict management, mm-hmm. you know, approach. Because I think that one of the biggest things that can kill a startup is co-founder disputes Um, and then i remembered as at yc there was like this sort of therapy session where you know they will bring you and your co-founder together and then sort of trying to get like perspective you know how you will manage issues and i think that just coming from just understanding that you have to communicate i have to always communicate we don't even have to agree on this thing but you need to know my position, I need to know your position. And then I think that that has helped a lot. And then also like managing shareholders, investors, expectations, you know, I have learned over time that um, you have to like be very careful about how you pick your investors. So ideally, um, so leaving my former startup, for example, I wouldn't go into like a competition to to, to win a cheque from someone, yeah. you know, no matter um, how, how bad I needed the money. Because I soon realized that co-founder relationships are great, but like, I think the, the one with investors is even like if someone is on your cap table, um, they're not going anywhere anytime mm-hmm. soon, right? Um, even, and you can't even like say, oh, here's your money back with some interest. Like, you need their consent. So you have to be like extremely careful about who you pick as an investor and then be sure that you know you can, you're happy to like go like five, 10 years having mm-hmm. this perform board. So many of our investors in Kudet today have people that, you know, I have spent a lot of time building relationships with. Right. And then also just like communicating, you know, whether, whether good, bad, ugly, like when there's a problem, for example, um, like immediately there's a big problem, I shoot my investors an email like, you know, because I feel like sometimes founders, you know, put too much pressure on their their, their selves. You know, thinking that you have to solve all problems. Yeah. And the truth is that there are problems that, ideally, you could say all oh, the problems are it's your fault. You know, mm. people could say, "Oh, couldn't you have seen that?" You know, "Couldn't you have adjusted this?" But the truth is that you're going to make mistakes. Um, it's in like I say, in like 10 years of building a company, I think that there will probably be like four or five times that you would even think that you're still going to die as a business. <laughs> so I think you need like a lot of support. and then you need investors that can understand that. And I think the, the first way to tackling that problem is just communicating. Because if a problem happens, before I even think of a solution, if I think that this is an existential threat, I would shoot my investors an email and be like, okay, I'm thinking about this, but hey, we can as well think about it together. So I think that from all of the experience I had there, not really maybe like the relationships that went bad and just thinking about, you know, the road I had, I'm very deliberate about how I build relationships going forward. I try to be as, you know, transparent as I can be, but also just understand that, like, Think many things are not personal; it's just business. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. Relationships have, have, don't have to be ruined. So I would say that, like, my sort of my biggest mistake that has also shaped me was the fact that, you know, I resigned from my last company. Um, I think that it was a difficult period. Actually, uh, it was like I think I spent um, maybe about th- three months just almost in like a dark place, mm. you know, in my life, and just just trying to figure out what to do. But I think that that has also shown me that anything is possible. Yeah. Um, and even if I have problems thrown at me in future, I can always take a step back and then uh, you know, give it sure. another shot.
0: What's the exit plan in this era of acquisition now? Oh. Are you looking like, we're <laughs> going go <laughs> to do 10 years and IPO, or like, hey guys, in case you want to bring some huge amount of dollars, we might really...
1: So I, I think that um, for me, though, um, I can't say for Pelumi. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I, I think that, and I'm, I'm being sincere about this. I, I think I am largely motivated by the kind of change that mm. a business like Kudi can can make I in mean. Nigeria. The kind of impact you know it can make, and you know, looking forward to like a couple of months being able to like almost go everywhere in Nigeria and say, oh, that's a QDI agent, that's a good agent. And I think the way I think about it is this, can I drive this vision by myself um, over the next 10 years or five years and achieve the results and make this thing possible? Or is there someone that is equipped to help me drive it faster? Mm. So if, for example, for it to, let's say, get to maybe 300,000 agents in Nigeria, for example, it could take maybe another 24 months, you know, a lot more venture capital to get there, a lot more experimentation and all of that to get there. And let's if hypothetically, there's someone that is equipped to literally make that change happen in like six months. Then that's an acquisition that is worth talking that's about. Right. Because I think at the end of the day, um, while, of course, in a liquidity event, investors get paid, shareholders, employees that have stock options, founders, you know, everybody makes <laughs> money and all of that. You know, I, I think that it would suck for you to like, let's say you sold your company today and you made like, say $30 million or whatever, and then your acquirer shuts it down tomorrow. Mm. You know, it I I feel like, Money is not going to feel the emptiness you will feel. So, for me, it's more of uh, while, of course, the the exit (laughs) is important for all shareholders, but I think that it's also the fact that can this person or can this entity drive this change faster and better than me? And I think that sometimes, you know, founders always feel like you can do anything you can. But the truth is that there are people that I have spoken to in my, you know, in their corporates that I have spoken to in the past that I know that these people can probably drive, you know, this a lot faster than we can because of, like, their dependencies or, like, levers that we have to, like, almost build yeah. for us to be able to make some things happen, which could be, like, a, at the tip of a finger of someone. But just trying to be sure that, you know, that person is committed to it and if that can happen, yeah, we would not mind.
0: What's your favorite city in the world?
1: City, he um, would be Casablanca.
0: What's your wildest dream that has nothing to do with Kodi?
1: So I think that entrepreneurship is an instrument to drive social change um, mm. or economic change mm. in somewhere like Nigeria, for example. And I remember at the there was a particular New Year event that I had in my house with a couple of friends and we we're talking about what we all wanted to do in like you know the last next five, six years. And I was talking about the fact that, so this was even before like, you know, um, I was, and I was talking about being able to sort of like drive change in like Nigerian police force. You know, this was like two years ago. <laughs> and I was saying to a friend that, you know, until the day if, um, I finished from school as a software engineer, and I'm g- uh, I'm interested in working for the Nigerian Police Force. Um, until that day happens, um, we're still not going to see the kind of change that we're looking for mm-hmm. because it's the quality of people and the quality of life that you have there. And I'd always just be motivated by the fact that that's something that I would sort of be interested in sort of would be like public office Ah. at some point maybe not like from a ministerial (laughs) type stuff you know maybe like someone is a minister there and I I wouldn't say it's like my wildest dream it would sort of just be like something Something that I'm passionate about whereby I could just literally like support this person and then trying to figure out how we can position some national like I don't want to use the word infrastructure. Like, <laughs> you know, pillar of the country in a way whereby we can we can make Nigeria a better place. I know that sounds political, but I think that at the end of the day, for many of us, um, all of the businesses that we're building in for fa- many founders, it's sort of because of a change you want to see. Yeah. And I think that we need to largely drive up, um, drive up the quality of life in, in our country because the our success is really dependent on the macros mm-hmm. and, you know the economy state of the security and everything here and then that i would just at some point be, be interested in being able to to give back in a form of um, a public office type of thing yeah.
0: interesting something like that Are you not working what do you do i'm sleeping <laughs> 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 you like to sleep
1: yeah i think i yeah i I don't get enough sleep, um, not because I'm working oh. all the time, but I think I always like struggle with sleeping. So if I can get enough time to sleep, um, as much as you can, yeah. I don't like to go out too much. I just want to be in my house and sleep. Um, maybe watch Netflix and chill.
0: <laughs> and chill. Interesting. Yeah. Question I always ask, because I like to know the kind of people that I've interviewed. Milk before cereal, or cereal after milk. Choose wisely, please. Think about it.
1: Milk before cereal.
0: Executive decisions, what you're about to make.
1: Mm. So the way I, d- I would make it is a bit different. I will put cereal in a cup, uh-huh. and I'll put m- milk in a cup. Uh, which one do you pour first Which the one do plate? I pour first? Of course, it's the milk now. You pour the milk on the, <gasps> the
0: cereal. Thank you. I, wait, did you say you put the milk on the cereal? Yes. I take.
1: I take. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that. You didn't get what else. I take it back. Yeah, I take... I take be, that... Be I, because...
0: I take it because back. Because you have to, no, like, feel no. the... No. Yeah. Why so do you guys... Why, why do they keep saying this? Like, no. So you, you put this... The change I want to cause... Cereal in, in milk. This, in this nation, the social change, is for people to begin to put milk... Like you're cereal. putting
1: garin in, in water.
0: No, thing, Gary, it's no, 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 <coughs> no, 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 no. Um, We're angry. done. Thank you so much for watching, guys. What's your What's the advice you would give to first-time founders? Very short. Very. Just do it. Just do it.
1: Yeah.
0: I thought you said they should get experience. Since you wish you had more experience.
1: No, I I don't think um, it matters. I think no one really. My theory is no one really knows what they are doing. Mm most people are winging it true and as uh, steve jobs would say um, th- most of the biggest changes you've seen in the world uh, are built by people not necessarily smarter than you are it's crazy i yeah. think it's just the the ability to just take that risk so i think that like you you don't know whether it's going to succeed or not so true. and there's nothing you can do like no one once saw the pandemic yeah right so just just do it Who knows?
0: just do it guys that's the final word that yinka has for us uh, thank you so much for staying watch this video it was a very interesting conversation to be honest i didn't think you were going to talk this much because it was just like okay maybe we'll do like 15 minutes but then you just <laughs> kept and that was really good thank you so much for opening up it was very interesting to learn about your journey thanks like, for having me thank you so much hey thank you so much for listening to this podcast to the end i hope you really enjoyed this episode i hope that you have been inspired or motivated to get better in your careers in your businesses in your life i hope this, you enjoyed it if you did please make sure you subscribe to the videos on my youtube channel at pc to me or just search for founders connect and you find the playlist. and then subscribe to the channel also please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it leave a rating also so more people can find it and also talk about the episode that you listen to hashtag founders connect across social media hey i'll see you in the next episode peace out